Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Your host, Zoltan, here, as always, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by two guests, two out of the three of the hosts of the new Market Watch podcast. We got Brian O'Leary and Matt Davis here. How's it going, guys? Happy to be here, Mike. Really excited. Yep. Awesome. Thrilled to have you guys here. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, Brian and Matt did just start a podcast called the Market Watch Podcast. Definitely make sure to check that out wherever podcasts are found. Um, And these two are experienced uh, dynasty players with some with some deep thinking. So I'm I'm thrilled to have them on this specific podcast this week because we're going to be going into something pretty meta, um, and it has to do with a startup draft that. The three of us participated in last week. Yes, in the middle of week seven, we decided to do a startup draft. Uh, Brian, do you want to explain that this was one of the wildest formats I've ever had? Do you want to explain what yeah. it was like? So, you know, Jacob never fails to uh, impress with his craziness, but we'll we'll give you the high level stuff, right? So um, it's a start 11, super flex, 0.5 tight end premium. Uh, there are some funky QB scoring. So it's 6-1 TDINT but you're getting plus 0.2 per completion, minus 0.1 for incompletion, and then plus 20, uh, 25 for passing first down. So um, keep that in mind when we're talking about like quarterback values and stuff. Um, the unique part of this, besides the scoring and the layout that we talked about, is we did three different drafts, and that's how addicted we all are to this, this, this life, right? We're doing, we did vets only, so that's excluding 23 rookies. We did a 23 rookie draft separate. So that's kind of like you know, an interesting data point. Obviously, there's been some movers and shifters I'm sure we'll talk about. And then lastly, we set what our 24 picks are. So with that, the 24 picks are set. We're, there's no tanking. There's no season existing until the 2024 season starts. So it's kind of unique in the sense of I can't say, hey, I'm going to pick a bunch of guys that are out right now and gain 101 and add that Caleb Williams uh, level of value. So yeah, exactly. again. Yeah. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah, exactly. So going into this draft, we had our slot in both the veteran draft, the 2023 rookie draft and the 2024 rookie draft. And and like you said, Brian, there's no season this year. So I've done some midseason startups where, you know, yeah. there's a 50% pot going towards the current season. There's none of that. So essentially this is a 2024 uh, league dynasty league, of course, but um, very interesting, not having, any production this year matter. Uh, Matt, going into this draft, what was your strategy thinking about it, given that we wouldn't even be getting points from these players for, what, 11 months, 10 and a half months? Yeah, so my strategy, uh, one thing that that has been in the back of my mind during the start of this season, the last seven weeks, is this is kind of like the season of the old guy, uh, like Mike Evans, (laughs) Keenan Allen, Raheem Mostert, et cetera. We can keep going on and on. So... With no production in 2023, I thought that some of the older guys would be even more devalued than they already are in off-season startups. So my strategy was essentially just don't run away from that. Uh, basically, be prepared to com- contend in 2024 and just you know take whatever old guys are falling to me at different spots and don't don't run away from the age. Basically, was my main strategy. 
Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you look at the leaderboard and the top six wide receivers. We got Tyree Hill, Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, and Adam Thielen in there, who are all you know twenty twenty nine or older, essentially. Uh, yeah. Running backs, obviously, Christian McCaffrey's killing it again. Alvin Kamara and Raheem Mostert are your RB two and three at the moment. So you're, you're spot on. It's been a very uh, age of the veteran type season. Um, Brian, what were you thinking going into this? Did, did either of you like make a whole ranking saying, here's what I think my ranks will look like beginning of 2024. How how did you kind of approach that? Yeah, Mike, I, I definitely, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had rankings, but I definitely fleshed out the first couple of rounds, um, knowing some of the people as well, like knowing your managers and your leagues with you. Um, I, I had a feeling that, uh, startup trades weren't going to be super, uh, uh, a big part of this draft specifically just knowing everybody where it's a pretty sharp group. Um, and my, my objective basically, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more in, in detail, but I wanted a quarterback and three receivers, the first four rounds. Um, ideally I wanted um, an undervalued quarterback and I wanted three guys that I at receiver that I think could at least hold value, if not gain value in season. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, I it I really liked this uh, this draft because it's something I like to do anyways. Is at the beginning of the twenty twenty three season when I'm putting out my rankings, I try to make my twenty twenty four rankings, and I have that inform a lot what my twenty twenty three rankings should be because so much of what happens with value during the season is how players are performing. So much of what happens with value in the off season is whether, you know, someone might get drafted or someone might get traded or there could be a new quarterback or what I've found is people dive into the advanced stats a lot more in the off season. So you get a guy like Demario Douglas, who we're going to talk about, who's been killing it on a per route basis. I imagine in the off season, he's going to be a huge riser while people in season (laughs) present company excluded might not be noticing that quite as much. Uh, Obviously we're, we're all big Demario Douglas fans. We'll get into that shortly with, uh, with the 2023 rookie draft. Um, Were you thinking when you were thinking about that value, were you thinking about it in terms of how they would be valued in January of 2024? So right after this season or more like September of 2024, right before the next season? Uh, Mike, I was definitely thinking right before next season. That was my goal. Obviously we, it's, it's, it's a guessing game in certain, in certain situations, but we're trying to project and, you know, like George Pickens, for example, I think, is a little undervalued right now. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, same thing. Like those were two guys that I really, really, really wanted to focus on getting. Um, and I'm glad that they were able to drop to me for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And, and Matt, I, I know you mentioned that you were looking at a lot of the older vets, given that this is a league where we're not playing games until again, 10 months from now, were you solely going best player available? Were you trying to make an actual logical team? Because I, I often in offseason drafts will say, you know, I don't care if I have zero running backs. I have six months to yeah. make a trade. Now we have 10 months to make a trade. So how did kind of positional stuff play into it for you? So I wanted to take one shot on one running back that if he stays healthy and if he's good, if he stays healthy, that's it. If he stays healthy the rest of this year, Christian McCaffrey is going to help win leagues next year. So to me, that was my my home run shot, right? That, that was my home run swing. The rest of my picks, I was just trying to get on base. 
just build a team around Christian McCaffrey. If he stays healthy, I'm certain this team will contend next year. Um, and so, so that was really that uh, that trade for Christian McCaffrey kind of informed the rest of my draft, essentially. Yeah, and, and we'll go through uh, not, not all of our teams uh, in too much specificity, but we're going to talk about, first of all, our takeaways from the 2023 rookie redraft, which I think was actually the more interesting draft out of the two, and yeah, then talk yeah. about the vet draft. I will say the value you got on Christian McCaffrey, to me, was pretty incredible, given that. So he went in 3-7. For, for those of you not watching on YouTube, uh, McCaffrey went at the 307. But remember, this is a draft without 2023 rookies. So we didn't have any Anthony Richardson, Bijan Robinson, CJ Stroud, uh, Sam Laporta, Puka Nakua, etc. So this is basically Christian McCaffrey going in the fourth round. So when we think about this next season, are we going to see McCaffrey going in the fourth round of startups or a little bit before that? I, I think you might have gotten pretty good value with that bet. Yeah, and just that, uh, that's kind of what I was thinking. I, I had been talking to Jacob, who had that original pick uh, leading up to the pick, and he he did ask for a lot. We don't need to get into too much of the details, but I in my head I was like, okay, if CMC is there, I will pull the trigger on this trade because again, that that's the one guy, that's the one running back I'm comfortable taking a ten months risk on. I was- I was, I was going to say McCaffrey is one of those very few that like transcend volatility. In my opinion, his point yeah. per game is enough to take that chance, especially there like that. Again, I, I thought that was great value too. That was one of the things I highlighted. So yeah. And the that. only way that that really goes wrong is if he carries an ACL in December, right? Like yeah. other than that, any other type of injury, he'll be healthy by the beginning of next season. So I agree. That was good value. What, what was the trade by the way? I see that you got, uh McCaffrey Ridley and Gabe Davis I assume you gave up a 2023 pick what, what was yeah that? so uh so I got uh three seven five seven and seven point seven and CMC Ridley and Gabe Davis with those picks I gave up the 2023 106 the 2024 109 and then the 2024 309 so two first and a late third uh for CMC uh, Ridley and Gabe Davis. My logic there was uh, I would definitely trade the 106 for CMC right now without has, no hesitation there. Yeah. And then as and then to me, I, I wouldn't normally trade a 24 late one for Ridley and Gabe Davis both. I I, I just I would aim higher than that. But uh, in the with the totality of CMC Ridley and Dave, Gabe Davis, I was fine paying that price. Yeah, definitely. No, that that makes sense. So let's get into the 2023 rookie draft, which, which as I mentioned, I thought was incredibly interesting. Okay. Um, to me, the biggest takeaway here was, holy shit, is this draft stacked? <laughs> like, I know that the 2023 class has been talked about really highly for years. And I think based on the NFL draft and running backs not being selected very highly, people were a little bit disappointed in it. Um Looking back at a redraft right now, I mean, Dalton Kincaid went at the 112, and this is a tight end premium league, and I don't think he went too late. Um, so you just see what the depth of the at least the top 12 in this draft was, and I would say all the way really for the first 15 or so picks, just an incredibly deep draft. Uh, Brian, what, what was your takeaway just looking back at this now? And, and then we'll start going through kind of pick by pick and talking about it. 
I think what you what you said is hitting the nail on the head. It, it's crazy. We talked like everyone talked about Bijan as a tier of his own kind of, and then you know top six or so like two through six, and we we quickly realized that six became eight or nine or ten, and maybe twelve depending on how high you are on Kincaid. So like that was awesome to see. Um, I've followed this class for a couple of years now, so it, it's it's good to see that like these guys seemingly are hitting higher than what we thought this class had become briefly. Yeah. And, and we, we've seen some recent breakouts of guys like Jameer Gibbs and Jordan Addison and Dalton Kincaid, and even Josh Downs and Michael Mayer, just really helping the depth of this class. And remember, there's only been seven weeks this year. Like there's time for Derek Henry to get traded and Tajay Spears to boost in value. There's time for Will Levis to prove he's a starter in the NFL. There's, there's a lot of upside still left in this class. And, I would still be acquiring these rookies aggressively. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the other things that stands out to me uh, talking about the depth of this class is you just look at the first three picks of the third round. Zach Charbonnet, who I know has had a quiet start to the season, but I mean, that guy's a day two running back, uh, locked in, handcuffed, good offense. Michael Wilson, uh, he went 3.2. I've already seen Michael Wilson traded for a second plus already this season. Uh, Jaden Reed, there's a lot of per route uh, metrics to like with Jaden Reed. I, I like him a lot as a Packer fan to seeing him. I don't know about his ceiling, but I think he's going to be a useful fantasy player. So, I mean, you're seeing in the early third round guys that you can expect to contribute later on. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's let's start off with the top. I'm just going to go through the top 12 for those of for those people who aren't listening. Uh, top 12 in order was Bijan, Stroud, Richardson. I think we agree that's probably a tier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then we had Puka, Achan, Laporta, JSN, Bryce Young, Jameer Gibbs, Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, and Dalton Kincaid were the top 12. Let's start at the 101. Uh, Brian, what did you think of the Bijan Robinson pick at the 101? Because I, I would have been tempted to go Anthony Richardson there. I don't, I understand the Bijan pick, but what gap do you see between Bijan Stroud and Richardson? Uh, I don't think there is much of one anymore. Uh, I think Stroud has exceeded most people's expectations. I was a pretty big Stroud guy and he's exceeded my expectations tenfold. Uh, Richardson, I think everyone expected to be able to rush, but he showed a lot of pocket presence and they have some interesting weapons now, um, you know, with JT signed you know, longer term now and downs proving what he is potentially. Uh, I, I would have definitely been tempted to take Richardson. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and then I think the draft got super interesting at number four where Puka Nakua went. Let's, yeah. let's talk about Puka a little bit because I, the more I dig into him, the more I'm just falling in love. Um, to be honest, you know, I think it was brought up last week if if JSN was doing this, he'd be on the same tier as Justin Jefferson right now. Are people too tied to their historicals with Puka Nakua? And Matt, we'll start with you. At at what point in this, how long does Puka have to do this for, for us to all just put him as dynasty wide receiver three? Or do you have him close to that now? Uh, I, I, I'd want him to finish up this year, um, not necessarily averaging the 20 points per game like that he is or whatever wh- whatever he's at right now, but I, I, I want to see a full season of wide receiver one production I, um, to put him at wide receiver three, but I, I think he deserves to be in there. I think outside of the draft capital, the eye test kind of leaves you like – 
saying like, are you sure? Like, uh, like when I watch the Rams, there's nothing electric about Puka. He just gets open and he catches the ball and then he moves the chains and he keeps doing it. Almost similar to like a, a guy he's often compared to, I think, Amon Ross St. Brown, um, even earlier, uh, early in his career, Cooper Cup, those kind of guys. There's, they, they don't have the electricity that, you know, even like a guy like Zay Flowers or Addison can show. Um, so I, I think people kind of have to wrap their heads around them. Just, hey, the production's there. Who cares what it looks like on the field? Matt, Matt on, on that topic, I, I think that, and, and hopefully you guys agree with this, but from what I see, I think there's a lot of ego that goes into Dynasty that you want to be right or you want to be wrong about, or, you know, you want to, your calls, you, you want to be 100% hitting. And everybody knows that doesn't happen, but you want to be able to say, you're going to start looking for little things like maybe an ex-girlfriend that like, you know, has this flaw or that flaw, but you're, you know, validated because you love her kind of thing. Right. So that's to me, that's at this point, I was a puka doubter and I've quickly said, okay, this guy has proven it. You know, he's, he's past the interview stage. He has the job. He's proven that he can do it. He can prove he's proving that he can excel at the job. So it's at this, not at this point now it's stubbornness and you're going to miss out on a, a huge hit. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I've I've gone on a bit of a Puka acquiring spree over the last few days. I sent out an offer, I believe, in every single one of my leagues. Um, I only got four done so far, which, you know, is a, a what, 3% success rate, 5% success rate. So not great. Uh, the Puka <laughs> yeah. owners pretty much know what they have in him. Um, and I, I did an analysis earlier today, or I posted a poll earlier today, how long would Puka have to continue to average 20 points a game in order for you to put him in the top two in the top tier with Chase and Jefferson? Uh, the majority of people said midway through 2024 and second was after the 2023 season. So it seems like he's not up in that top tier yet. I just updated my rankings. My patrons will be getting that later tonight. Um, I had him, I believe, at wide receiver five. Uh, but I think, Matt, what you said was was spot on. It's the same thing that people were slow to adjust on Amon Ross St. Brown and why people preferred C.D. Lamb over him, for instance. Yeah. It's because C.D. Lamb looks like what we know of as an elite wide receiver and what we've known as an elite wide receiver for the last you know 50 years of football. But football's changed a lot. It's so much more of a space game. You don't need to be this elite athlete if you have – really good knowledge of spacing. If you're a crisp route runner and you have excellent hands. And I think what Puka has shown over the last few weeks with Cooper cup back in the lineup, he's still commanding a 35% target share. I think he's proving that he is here to stay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I the fact that he's doing it with Cooper cup back, uh, I, I get wanting to wait till the end of the season to put him in the Chase Jeffers, uh, Chase and Jefferson tier. That makes sense to me. But people, I mean, we had this discussion in our group chat earlier today. People that are like reluctantly putting him at like wide receiver 12 and thinking that they're, you know, being like edgy or being like, hey, you know, I'm finally. No, no you guys are way behind the market at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And yep, and the. Uh, the four trades I got done, one was for Jonathan Taylor, one was for Chris Olave, one was for Stephon Diggs, and one was a package of T. Higgins, Traylon Burks, and a late second-round pick. Um, yeah. I'm viewing all of those. The Olave one was probably the closest one for me. Um, yeah. But one other thing, I went on a statistical deep dive on Puka today. 
Uh, I looked at any player. So no rookies have ever done even close to what Puka's done. He's had 58 catches in his first seven games. The highest before that was 42. So he's lapping the field. Um, he has 758, 52 yards in his first seven games. Only Jamar Chase had more than 622. So he's lapping the field there as well. So I'm like, all right, he can't be compared to rookies. Let's compare him just to any veteran receiver. There's only been 30 receivers to have a stretch with at least 50 catches and 650 yards in seven games to start a season. Wow. 26 out of those 30 are either Hall of Famers or potential Hall of Famers. 29 out of the 30 had at least one top five finish, and they averaged five top 12 finishes among them. So we got to start looking at the downside of, of Puka Nakua of being a Keenan Allen consistent wide receiver, nine ten type guy. And the upside is that he's Marvin Harrison, right? Like yeah. this is, this is the range that we have to start talking about because he's simply doing things that no one else has done. And for me, I'm tossing the prospect profile out because it's been seven games. It hasn't been three. I, I get some people want to wait for 10 or 11, but at that point it's going to be too late. And actually, I think that's a good point. Uh, there was something you said on your pod. I, I don't remember how many weeks ago. I want to say it was after week four where you said, hey, guys, by now, this production matters more than preseason ADP. It's more predictive of the rest of the season. And th this yeah. was like a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I remember when I heard that, I uh, heard you say that on your pod a few weeks ago. That not only changes the way I thought about Puka, but some of the other players that we've seen uh, popping off, I'm like, okay, maybe this is legit now that it's happening in October still too. Yeah, so let, let's move on and talk about, uh, keep going down the draft. Um, which of these picks coming up in the first round do you think was most interesting? And, and Brian, I want to talk about your pick at the 107. Um, so after Puka went Achan, Laporta, and then Brian at the 107 picked Jackson Smith and Jigba ahead of the likes of Bryce Young, Jameer Gibbs, A. Flowers, and Jordan Addison. What was your thinking there? So my thinking, uh, I, I've seen some good things out of JSN. I think his value could easily explode. Uh, like Matt mentioned, Puka, if he was JSN, people would you know be flying him up the, up the charts. I think he doesn't have to produce anywhere near Puka to hold a similar outlook this upcoming offseason, um, especially if there's any type of injuries down, down, the, down the line the rest of the season. I think JSN could really have some pop games. And he's got that name brand that pop games plus name brand plus draft capital. They're going to, he's, even if I don't like him, if I don't like what I see, I think that's an easy person to sell in the off season um, injury or not. So that, that was kind of my thought process. Uh, that being said, my goal was Puka Laporta or HN. So this was my backup plan more or less. Yeah, that makes sense. M Matt, was that your top six as well? And and what did you think of the JSN pick there? I thought the JSN pick was interesting. So uh, I I would have the top six exactly how it went. I actually thought, <laughs> I don't know why I thought this. I thought when I traded away the 106, I thought it was Puka that I was trading away. Um, not not Laporta, but um I actually thought Laporta was going to go for HN5 and then uh, Puka 6. But the JSN Bryce Gibbs tier from 7 to 9 really did interest me because I think you can make a great case for either one of those three. And all three of those guys have had kind of slow starts to 
the season. I think all three have some legitimate question marks and also have a ton of upside. Um, so it would, it, I would struggle to separate JSN, Bryce, and Gibbs at all right now. Uh, so I, I was kind of interested to see that order come out. Mike, uh, would you? I think, Mike, I think you would have taken Bryce over JSN, right? I would have. So I, I was up at the 108. So I originally uh, had the 105. Um, so the board, when I was up, my board was A-Chan um, and Bryce Young were actually the two guys I was considering. And a lot of the reason for Bryce Young is floor. I, I was pretty risk averse, at least here uh, in the rookie portion of this draft, because I know Bryce Young's going to be a starter next year. And I know the quarterback scoring in this format is super elevated. And I know there's only like 13 dynasty quarterbacks I have any interest in. So yeah. I, I was I was pretty happy. Um, I traded down from 1-5 to the 1-8, knowing that I would get either Young or Gibbs or Laporta or JSN. So that's, I picked up, I think, just a second round pick to make that trade. To me, the draft was pretty flat at that time, but I would have taken Bryce Young just for the positional scarcity, but I have JSN basically in the same tier. So I, I have no problem with that. Talking about JSN, it's tough because DK Metcalf missed week seven, but JSN after the week five bye, he saw his route rate go up from 61% to 82%. He saw his average depth of target go up from 3.3 to 9.1. Um, obviously small sample size. We're talking about a two week sample after the bye, but hopefully I, I think that JSN does have a high floor and a high ceiling from a dynasty perspective between now and the beginning of next year. And the other thing to note is Seattle got their tackles back, their offensive tackle. They got Charles Cross, their left tackle, and I'm not sure their right tackle's name, but I think they got him back last week. And uh, as soon as Charles Cross came back, uh, JSN's ADOT exploded, and that was with DK. So I think they were running a lot of short game just to make up for offensive line deficiencies the first month of the season. Yeah, that's a good point. And the whole Seahawks offense was pretty terrible um, initially. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's get to let, let's get to the end of the first round. Any thoughts on Gibbs, Flowers, Addison, Kincaid? Do you think that's about right? Looks right. To yeah, me. I, I think, think Mike, it's Go yeah, I, I think it is. It's, it's important to also note Addison didn't have his pop game yet when we finished this part, this portion of the draft, too. So like. like I, I think if we redrafted, maybe he wouldn't, but there'd certainly be more temptation to take Addison a little bit higher. Uh, but for me, I, I like where we're at in terms of that that whole first round, I, I think made sense. Yeah, and I, I was trying hard to trade up to 112. I offered DK Metcalf for the 112, trying to get Dalton Kincaid, got rejected. Um, it was uh, it was unfortunate. Who else? I offered another wide. Oh, I offered like Jerry Judy plus like two seconds or something also got rejected. Um, I think what's interesting here is that Jameer Gibbs was being taken at the 104 in most drafts, 105 maybe. Mm -hmm. He hasn't decreased at all in terms of his dynasty ranking at the running back position, but he's fallen all the way to the 109 in this draft. Just another reason why, another uh, uh, evidence that the 2023 draft really has already come through uh, strongly for now. Um, so I don't want to hit on every pick in the second round. Uh, I'll, I'll go through them really fast, and then we'll just talk about some of our favorites. So the second round went Josh Downs, Rashi Rice, Michael Mayer, Tank Dell, Quentin Johnston, Tajay Spears, Demario Douglas, Luke Musgrave, Roshan Johnson, Marvin Mims, Will Levis, and Kendra Miller. 
Um, I think we got to talk about the Douglas pick because that's <laughs> the name that for most people, I mean, if you've listened to my podcast, I've been talking about him for months, but for most people, that's the name that's going to stand out here. Uh, Matt, you took him at the 207 ahead of your Packer guy, Luke Musgrave, which is what surprised me. W- yeah. What is your thought process with DeMario there? So I think Luke Musgrave was technically the correct pick at 207 uh, based on what we've seen so far. But uh, I know we have some pop fans in this league, and I think that uh, that weird like fumble benching during Miami, uh, the Miami game where he was like benched the next week too, I think that really kind of helped even further suppress DeMario Douglas's value in his production so far. Yeah. And I uh, – I I messaged you, I think it was like, it was really early in the season, like week one or week two. And I was like, hey, Mike, we, we've all been talking about this Pop Douglas guy for a couple months. Like, is this guy legit? And I mean, you started naming off a lot of different things that you liked about him. But, and you were, you know, you're not one that to, to give into hyperbole a lot. And you were like, yeah, I can totally see this guy being an 80 catch a year guy. Like, mm-hmm. not saying he's like a superstar, but he definitely looks like a professional NFL receiver. So ever since then, I've just been buying up Pop. And to me, Pop and Musgrave were so interchangeable. I have a lot of both of them that I was just like, you know what? Let's go, Douglas. It, it was basically a coin flip for me, though, between those two. Matt, did you think about or investigate like trading back at all? Or were you worried that, that you know, Pop Douglas fans um, were going to take him before if you did trade back? No, I so I did not want to trade back. To me, uh, there was okay. another tier break after Pop and Musgrave. I, I know a Got lot it. of people like guys like uh, the two guys that went right after Pop and Musgrave were Roshan and Marvin Mims. Uh, Roshan doesn't do a lot for me. Marvin Mims, I know a lot of people like him. I, I'm a little more concerned with what I've seen from Marvin Mims than a lot of people, just in terms of I do think he's really talented, but he does strike me as a low target share, high A dot guy that's going to be very volatile. Maybe uh, he's a very different player, but a similar role to like Gabe Davis. And that's not really someone I'm chasing in uh, the second round of a rookie draft. I, I'd prefer someone like if DeMario uh, Douglas hits and he's like that consistent 12 to 14 points per game guy. That, that's the type of guy I'm looking for more than men's archetype. Yeah, and I'm really interested to see what happens with Douglas this upcoming week because last week with Juju Smith-Schuster out of the lineup, he saw a season high. He ran 76% of routes. He had a really good game. I mean, uh, Brian and I are both Patriots fans. He's been the best Patriots offensive oh. player by far. Every time he touches the ball, he just looks incredible. Um, I, 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 I got a stat- quick, Go quick, ahead, quick yeah. question, Mike. I am a Colts fan, actually. So we. Oh, fuck. I'm, My I'm, bad. I'm strange. And you, I, you, your assumption it's was because you're a Celtics fan. Yeah, the Celtics thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's common in what normal, most normal people are. I'm just not common in that sense, I guess they're strange. So fair, but you're a Demario Douglas fan. And and that's a huge fan. A a few stats I love about Demario Douglas. So first of all, he's 18th in yards per route run. Not bad. Um, Second of all, there are 20 receivers with more than 60% slot rate. So these are guys who I consider real slot receivers out of those 20 Demario Douglas ranks third in yards per route run behind only CD lamb and Keenan Allen. He ranks first in yards after catch per reception, and he ranks first in average depth. Sorry, uh, third in average depth of target um, behind only uh, Jaden Reed and uh, Jerry Judy. So again, Demario Douglas is a unique player who is a slot weapon 
commands a lot of targets, can make people miss after the catch. Um, I, I love what I've been seeing out of him so far. Um, Brian, which out of these picks, either in the second round or later on, do you think could age the best? Um, so we already talked about this person and on our pad- podcast, I've been ranting and raving about this, this, this player, uh, Michael Wilson, Michael Wilson is just, I thought that was great value. Um, yeah, he was going like late three, early four in the off season, but obviously he's proven to have a role. Um, a lot of film guys like him, he's putting up decent stats in what could be a, an offense that might even explode when Kyler comes back. So it's, it's kind of. I was surprised that he went as late as he did. Honestly, I thought that was really good value. Yeah, and and he went at the three oh two. Looking at the board, I don't know if there's anyone I necessarily would have preferred him to, um, but I do think he was a good value there. I'm a little bit less sold on Michael Wilson. It's the fourteen percent target rate that really gets me. Um, He's running a ton of routes, and and that's great for a rookie, but. You talked about Gabe Davis. I'm a little concerned that Michael Wilson's following that path. But again, if you get Gabe Davis in the third of a rookie draft, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Matt, how about you? Which pick do you think will age the best? Sorry, I think you froze a little bit. Matt, which pick do you think will age the best? Uh, hmm, let's see. I would say... Uh, I, I, I don't like the player at all. Um, in fact, I dislike the player, but Will Levis, Will Levis at two eleven is the home run pick. Uh, yeah, I think uh, so. I, I that has a chance to age just beautifully. Um, the 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 other one that I really like uh, that Mike, I'm sure you're going to agree with this. Uh, Brian over here taking Tajay Spears at two oh six killed me, man. I I wanted Spears to fall one more spot uh, to two oh seven, but. But Brian got him in the mid-second, and, uh, you know, uh, Mike, I know, I know we've talked about him. I know you've talked about him. Uh, there's just a lot to like about his uh, what we're projecting his value to be over the next few months, over the next 10 months. Uh, Derrick Henry leaves this offseason. There's going to be a ton of spirit type with how good he's looked so far. So I, I think that's a 206 that can turn into a mid to late one pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Tajay Spears, you know, fourth in the league in yards after contact per attempt. He's forced more missed tackles than Derrick Henry has. He's already taken a lot of the work. And, you know, him and Will Levis are a similar bet where if either of them just have even a a small grasp on the starting job, they're worth between a late first and an early second. And you're getting them here in the second and for Levis, the late second. So I, I definitely agree there. Um, any pick that you really didn't like that you think is going to age the worst, I, Brian? Let's. I have you. one. I have one for sure, Mike. Um, and this this could bite me. Um, and I I bet you Matt knows who I'm about to say, but uh, Michael Mayer um, <laughs> at two hundred three. To me, I don't I don't get it. Still, I'm I'm a, I'm waiting to be a little more cautious in terms of like trading away any shares that I have on my team currently. But two hundred three with this draft. I, I like this might be a hot take, but I'm taking Tank Dell. I'm taking Tajay. I'm taking Quentin Johnson. I'm taking Musgrave and maybe Marvin Mims. Um, if if it wasn't Sean Payton, I would probably take Marvin Mims anywhere else. But though, that's like four or five guys that to me, like, yeah, Mayor could, you know, get back into that because of the scoring format. But to me, I, I 
still don't, I'm not fully sold on his skill set being sustainable and, you know, achieving what he's being treated as. So yeah, I, I, I think he's largely, I, I like Mayer fine at that price. Um, I think he is largely a situational type tight end, similar to a guy like TJ Hawkinson, for instance, who I don't think is yeah. super talented, but he's good enough to soak up a million targets in that offense. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this had to do with timing. Uh, we saw Michael Mayer get six targets uh, by, you know, he only five going into week six, and then he saw six in week six, uh, another four in week seven. So he's definitely trending upwards, but I agree that that could look tough depending, especially on if Spears and Quentin Johnston, who went right after him, end up exploding. So the pick that I think has the potential to age the worst, this might be a pretty hot take, is B. John Robinson. I think the opportunity cost of passing wow. up two first-round franchise QBs is tough. You you need Bijan to be a 20-point-per-game uh, running back for the next four or five years, uh, in my opinion, to justify taking him over Richardson and Stroud. There's just too much volatility with the running back position. Uh, we already saw Arthur Smith doing the goofy stuff this past week with Bijan. He's a coach I don't trust. And just generally speaking, I don't like taking a running back over a franchise quarterback. And I think Stroud and Richardson are both that. Yeah, no, that's that's a good shout. Brian, what do you think? Um, So if I'm understanding you correctly, Matt, you in this in this realm where you're picking one through three, you would take both quarterbacks above Bijan. Yeah, and I I. I would take Bajan over Puka Nakua, but it would be a tougher decision for me than most people. Wow. Wow. I, I, I actually agree. I would take Bijan third out of those three as well. Um, especially with these settings, but even in the more traditional settings, um, I'm just going to go with, I mean, Anthony Richardson can break football. can break fantasy as much as Bijan can. And CJ Stroud to me, he's a 15 year starter. Like, like he, he just is legit. There's no questions about it right now. So I agree with that just for the positional, but I understand still taking Bijan there. Yeah, um, so so you're, you're kind of selling me in, in the sense of, you know, since we're not playing this year out, part of Bijan's allure was definitely instant impact, right? So I, I right. guess that is definitely, you know, that's that's a factor. We're losing a year of running back in a volatile position. Yeah. And I could just so see Arthur Smith taking a running back in round three next year, like for no take. reason other than just because he can. And, um, and, the, and the thing with Arthur, Arthur Arthur Smith is that, you know, the Falcons have the easiest schedule remaining in the NFL. I mean, this team could easily go 10 and 7 and everybody gets brought back next year. So Exactly. I mean, they're they're just mediocre enough that he's going to keep his job and that all of the Falcons are going to have a tough time again unless they end up getting a quarterback like Tyler or Kirk Cousins or someone like that. Um my pick is similarly a guy that I like a lot, but I think Sam Laporta was the worst pick in this draft. Um, not that I don't like him, but I don't think he's, first of all, that different than Dalton Kincaid. And I don't think he's like, he walked into TJ Hawkinson's system and is doing less than what TJ Hawkinson was doing, who I just said, I don't think is that talented. Yes, he's a rookie tight end, but some of these big plays, some of the touchdowns, two of which were on trick plays, are really inflating Laporta's value. Um, and it's, again, not that I don't like Sam Laporta, but I think that taking him over a guy like Bryce Young um, and even Jameer Gibbs is tough. Again, it was a flat 
there's a flat region of the draft, but I would not have taken Laporta there uh, just personally. Um, yeah, I think that makes sense. Any other thoughts on the 2023 rookie draft before we move on to talk about the, uh, the vet redraft? No, not really. Nothing I mind. I think we covered a lot. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's switch over to the veteran draft. Um, for uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, you can see the board up here. Obviously not going to be walking through every pick here, but I wanted to start, uh, Matt, with your pick at the 103, which to me was the first very interesting pick in the draft because most people have Mahomes, Allen, Hurts in some order as a tier of their own. At the 103, you went Lamar Jackson. What's your thought process there? Yeah, I've always said uh, all year, I think Lamar does, belongs in that tier. To, to me, it's Pat Mahomes' tier of his own one, and then Josh Lamar and Hurts as two through four. They should be in their own tier. Um, there, It really was a coin flip for me with Lamar and Hurts. Uh, it really came down to ancillary factors like, I don't love how Philadelphia's offense looks with losing Shane Steichen. I yeah. do love how Baltimore's offense looks uh, with Todd Munkin. I, 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 lo- I loved what I saw from Todd Munkin in Georgia. Uh, he was offensive coordinator for those very fun Jameis Tampa Bay teams. Uh, so once I heard he was coming to Baltimore, I started really getting uh, high on Baltimore th- uh, this season. So he, it, it was just – I, I prefer Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think he's a better player than Jalen Hurts. Uh, I think their offensive casts are now starting to – I think the gap is closing between their the quality of their teammates. And it, it really was just a coin flip. I, I just like Lamar a lot. That really it. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything – like, to me, I wouldn't have done that just because I know that Hurts has more trading value. Um but yeah, a lot of Hertz's value is the fact that he gets a rushing touchdown every single week from the one yard line. And given all the noise that the NFL is likely to get rid of that next season, that actually makes a legitimate difference for Jalen Hurts. Um, Lamar Jackson right now is leading at all NFL QBs in terms of his rushing point per game output. Um, and he's top five in big time throw rate PFF grade. He, he's looked awesome, even though his volume hasn't been that high. Uh, so I, I don't think it was that crazy of a pick. I, I do have him a tier below Jalen Hurts, but I completely understand that there. One thing on Hurts, Mike, um, I think it's interesting to think about Dak's value when he was getting not necessarily rushing yards, but rushing touchdowns and what happened to his value when he when those touchdowns went away. Um, I'm not comparing Hertz to Dak necessarily, but that's something to think about that if Hertz, like you're saying, is getting six points a game or more just based off of one yard touchdown runs that they they might not allow in the future. It's I, I, I kind of like the Lamar pick, honestly. I was surprised yeah. but liked it. Yeah, I mean, th- that's really what it came down to for me is, uh, again, I mean, we've stressed that we're drafting 10 months before any of the games count. A lot of things can change. I think Jalen Hurts is a really good quarterback i think he's like a top seven or eight quarterback in the nfl i just don't think he's as good as lamar jackson and i'm i didn't want to overemphasize situation 10 months ahead of when the game started counting yeah and, and lamar jackson is currently averaging his career low in rushing yards at 52 a game that is more than jalen hurts career high um and jalen hurts this year <laughs> Uh, is only averaging, sorry, I just had it, is only averaging 39 rushing yards a game. So 
Uh, if those touchdowns minimize or go away, I agree there could be some issue to his value, even though he, having A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith helps. He's also throwing a lot more interceptions than he did last year, so that's just another thing to note. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, Brian, I want to talk about your strategy a little bit going into this draft. Uh, I'll just go through your picks. You had the 111, and it was a third-round reversal. So you had Kyler Murray at the 111. Uh, ARSB at the 2-2, IU get the 3-2, then pick in Saquon Barkley, Jacoby Myers, and Javante Williams is basically your core. So you started with Kyler, added on three superstar young wide receivers, and then you took Saquon and Javante, which I thought were two of the more interesting picks at the draft. I, I loved the value on Javante. What was your thinking on those two players? Yeah, so I, I think in general, this group maybe devalues running back a little bit more than other draft rooms, but oh, also yeah. <laughs> the volatility in general of the format that we have and the position. Um, I, going in, I, I mentioned quarterback and three receivers as my game plan, but I, I was pretty sure that I would have my choice of two of Barkley, Pollard, and Javante, and I would have been happy with any of those two. Uh, in this case, I just I picked Barkley. I think he has plenty of room to grow in multiple avenues. Um, you know, if he's no longer on the Giants, he could get a massive spike. If the Giants change hands, he could get a massive spike. He could explode the second half of the season because we've all seen what he's capable of. So, like, that was my thought process for him. And Javante was as simple as, and we talked a little bit on our pot on uh, Dynasty Market about this, but. We're all pretty high on Javante. We think a pop week could be coming here shortly. He uh, is looking better and more healthy as the weeks go by, and that's just all wheels are up. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I was surprised looking, putting together my rankings today. Saquon is the RB5 in expected points per game and the RB8 in points per game this season. I didn't think he was having that good of a season, but, I mean, he's still getting the production – and we, everyone should listen to the Market Watch pod from Tuesday. But we talked about Javante. Mm-hmm. A year off the injury was week five a year ago. And in week six and seven, he doubled his yards after contact per attempt. He doubled his force missed tackle rate. He's starting to look like himself again. Um, and I do think at the 702 in a draft without the 2023 rookie. So this is basically Crazy, like the 808, I would estimate, is where you got Javante Williams here. That is absolutely insane. I mean, looking at this now, I, I wish I took him over Jerry Judy at the six oh seven. Um, I probably should have, but um, yeah, that was a that was a very good pick with Javante there. What what was your game plan in terms of uh, addressing quarterback? I guess for the both of you, because one of the things that we've talked about a lot is how the quarterback landscape is very feast or famine. So in this draft, uh, nine of the first eleven picks were quarterback. Then we saw. Deshaun Watson at the 205, Dak Prescott at the 211. Those are already two guys I'm not super confident in who are not producing right now. Dak is on the wrong side of 30. Deshaun's got all these issues. So literally the QB 10 is a guy that I'm not confident in. And this is, again, without Richardson or Stroud in here. So after the first round where, you know, you get one quarterback, but you can't get two, what was your game plan in terms of filling the quarterback position? Matt, let's start with you. Yeah, so I kind of going back to what I said at the beginning of the pod about my overall draft strategy, I felt like I took my big risk with CMC, make sure he stays healthy, uh, then I'm good to go. After that, I was trying to just get on base, hit singles, 
and that's all the Cousins pick was. I, I I was looking at Daniel Jones, and I I normally would have taken Daniel Jones, but the neck thing is just and I was a little too risk averse maybe in this draft, but like the the neck thing really kind of worried me off Dan, uh, Danny Dimes, and he was the only other quarterback I was looking at there. Uh, so I took Cousins 6'3", and then Dimes went 6'9", Russ Wilson went 6'12", then it made it back to me at 7'10". And st- I, I decided, you know what, Cousins is getting up there in age. Who knows where he's going to go after this season? I have been incredibly impressed with Matt Stafford's play this year. I don't think his numbers match what his play has been. And uh, so that kind of just informed my decision. All right, let's double tap. Stafford and Cousins. I am pretty confident that both of them are going to be starting QBs next year, barring health. And Lamar, Cousins, Stafford, let's just lock down QB for the next year until we get to the 2025 rookie draft. Yeah, that makes sense. And I had a similar idea. I, I took Tua in the first round and then went Geno Smith at the 5-6. So that was the other thing that uh, I forgot to mention. So I had Geno right there with Cousins and Stafford. And once one of them went, I had it in my mind, okay, I'm going to take the next one. Uh, so once you took Gino, it kind of put up the my antenna, like, okay, take a QB next, no matter what, kind of. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And this draft was done before the rookie draft. So from my perspective, I didn't know I was going to get Bryce Young, but I don't think that that would have changed it. Um, I think that when you look at quarterbacks, like I think Kirk Cousins is going to finish the year as a very highly ranked quarterback in fantasy, and then he might go to a new team, or he's going to have Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, and TJ Hawkinson in a huge passing yeah. volume. So I think his value is pretty safe with some upside. I view Geno Smith in a similar way. The Seahawks offense has been a bit of a mess so far, but with JSN coming on with both of their offensive tackles coming back, I think that there's some upside for Geno Smith as well as a pretty high floor. So that was my thinking. Um, Brian, you went a little bit of a different route after Kyler Murray in the first <laughs> round, you faded both quarterback and tight end until the ninth and 10th round. W- what was your thinking there? Was there just no one you liked at your spots? So my objective, and this is why, you know, context mattering in, in this point, you know, we hadn't done 23 rookie draft. We hadn't done 24 rookie draft. Um, having one Oh seven, I thought Laporta was in play. And I would have taken him probably um, as a possibility. So that is one reason. But again, I, I think outside of the couple of top guys that we've seen that are clear cut above the rest, if I'm not getting Kyle Pitts, I'm not, if I'm not getting Mark Andrews, I'm cool with like pushing it down and taking some flyers and maybe volume, um, volume shooting, dare I say. Um, in terms of quarterback, my plan all along was fading quarterback as long as I landed you know, the Kyler range. I was, I was hoping for Kyler, but it came down to it. I would even had T-Lar to Kyler at 110, 111. So um, once that happened, I like Desmond Ritter. Uh, we were talking about Daniel Jones a second ago. I, I could see him falsely inflated value similar to Daniel Jones. You know, Matt talked about, you know, a softer schedule. He's putting up fantasy points. He's not everyone similar to Daniel Jones, everyone knew he was probably not a great quarterback, but they started selling themselves on something that was maybe not, it was maybe a mirage. And I, I could see Desmond Ritter being the same, maybe not with some of you guys, but um, generally speaking, I think Desmond Ritter is a really interesting and good value right now in terms of gaining value from now until off season. I think it's definitely possible where you got him at the nine Oh two, which is like the 11th round of a normal draft. 
it's totally fine. I think there's also a chance he's just like blatantly not the starter next year. But again, your opportunity cost wasn't that high. If you look at who went after you, it's, you know, Tyler Lockett, Derek Carr, Mac Jones. Those are all guys whose values could go down very similarly. So I I completely understand that. Um, Makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, Mike. And, I, one, one more, one more piece of context. Context. I also have 103 in the 2024 draft, so that right now projects potential to the Drake, Drake. May, yeah. or you know, someone else that emerges in that sense. So, yeah, that makes sense, Matt. What yeah, were you saying? Some, something to keep in mind, you know. No, I was, so I was going to say uh, not to you know step on like the best and worst picks. Uh, no, go ahead. We're going to do coming up, but uh, the the key point there that you made with Ritter getting him in the early ninth. I mean, you're talking about he got uh, Ritter five rounds after Jordan Love, three and a half rounds after Sam Powell, <laughs> a full round plus after Kenny Pickett. Uh, there's just not much difference between those four guys. Yeah, no, I I completely agree there. Uh, let's let's move on to our best and worst picks. We might as well hit those. I'm going to start with what I what I thought were the best picks. Uh, Javante Williams was going to be one of mine, but the others that I really liked was the fifth and sixth round running backs that went off. To me, are running backs that have a ton of upside and a lot of value security. So we saw Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Isaiah Pacheco, James Cook, and Javante Williams come off between 5-2 and 7-0-2. And to me, those are all guys who we know are going to have locked-in roles. Even if a guy like James Cook gets a power back drafted next season, he's going to have some type of role. He's young. He'll have receiving output. And he has upside for the rest of this season. Isaiah Pacheco, I've been super impressed with. A guy like Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard, they're top two in expected fantasy points per game this year. They're just not performing, but that could easily turn around. So, to me, that was kind of my takeaway. Like all those guys basically in the seventh round of when a normal draft would be or later. Obviously, this is a running back averse class, but when you see those guys going in the same range as, you know, Traylon Burks and Elijah Moore and Jamison Williams, you can see a lot of value there with the running backs. Definitely. How about you, Brian? What, what was your favorite pick of the draft that we haven't mentioned? My yet? favorite, and this this is going to sound like it's a homer pick, but Mike, I love Trey McBride at ten oh seven. Still mine. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, man. No, 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 no. Uh, but I, I won't steal too much of your thunder. But real quick, I, I think that's somebody that is getting uh, more targets, more snaps. Ertz is down. That's a guy that could easily gain a ton of value. Mike, I know you were super high on him last year as a rookie. Um, And this is something that like he could easily skyrocket and, you know, all of a sudden he's a, you know, fifth, sixth round startup pick if he explodes. So that's, that's huge value potential there. Yeah. And I, and I took Trey McBride at the uh, 1007. Yeah. And I think that uh, with the Zach Ertz to IR news, I mean that I don't think Zach Ertz, I think Zach Ertz to IR came after this draft, but like that's, it's already aging well in that sense. Um, So yeah, the, that was the one that stood out to me. Like I, I took Cole Komet like over two rounds earlier than Trey McBride. That was a terrible pick. Like, but I mean, it happens. Uh, The the other one that stood out to me outside of Trey McBride was uh, David Montgomery at eight Oh five. Brian knows this from us hosting the pod. I I don't like to throw cold water on all the Gibbs love, but I just don't think David Montgomery's role is going anywhere. Uh, He signed to a three-year contract. This is the first year of that contract. I understand, you know, by year three, all that guaranteed money is going to be gone. But I expect him to have the exact same role, getting 20 touches a game in one of the best offenses in the league next year. 
so I, to me, David Montgomery belonged up there between Pacheco and James Cook. I think he, uh, our friend woman lover, uh, I think got a two round discount on him basically. Yeah, no, not, not bad at all. Um, I, I want to move on to the worst pick of the draft. Uh, th- there were, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of questionable picks. Uh, I, I was unfortunately going to mention the Cole Komet one. I, I just don't, I don't really see much upside there. Um, but to yeah, me, I absolutely hated the Elijah Moore pick. I am as far out on Elijah Moore as you could be at this point. Um, we loved what we saw over the last five weeks of his rookie season. And I was a guy who was pretty in on him after that. Since then, he has just proven how terrible he is. And I understand he was in a bad offense, but in his la- in his sophomore season last year in 2022, he had a 0.90 yards per route run. This year, he has improved a ton to 1.09. These yards per route run numbers are like in the eighth percentile this year and the third percentile last year. There's never been a single wide receiver other than Devontae Adams in the last 18 years, which is when this data goes back to, that has come back from one season of a yards per route run that bad to have a top 20 season. He now has a season and a half of that, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. He's getting manufactured touches too. It's not like they're just not looking his way. He's getting manufactured touches and not doing anything with them, and he's never getting open downfield. I am super out on Elijah Moore. He's a guy that I've been selling for any second that I can get or using him to sweeten the pot in a bigger deal. Um, for instance, I've been offering Devontae Smith plus Elijah Moore uh, for Puka Nakua. Uh, just as an example, those are some of the deals I offered. So that that's a pick that, yeah, it was at 709. There's not a whole lot of downside there, but um, I would much rather take you know Matt Stafford and Mike Evans who went after them, who at least I know will produce at some point. I don't see Elijah Moore ever doing anything. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's an awesome pick. Um, Elijah was one of the ones that kind of grabbed my attention when we were looking at some of the worst ones. Uh, for me, it's it's very obvious. Deshaun Watson at two hundred five is <laughs> yeah. an inexcusably bad pick. Um, I, I I think it I think it was okay, kind of in the off season, but. I, what in the first six weeks of this man's season makes you think he's a top twenty dynasty asset? I just, I, uh, I just don't think there was any reason for that. He's uh, just putting away all the off the field stuff, right? Uh, just ignore it. Let's say this guy was an awesome guy uh, and there was no off field concerns. He's been one of the very worst quarterbacks in the NFL ever since he's been in Cleveland. Now he has like this weird fan, like shoulder rotator cuff thing that I'm sure he's legitimately hurt, but like the team is already contradicting him saying, and there's just not a lot to like about Deshaun Watson right now, his situation. I think he's like a round five or round six guy. I think he was drafted way too early. Mm. So. Yeah. And I, I think Dak Prescott was drafted way too early as well at the two eleven. that, that, I think if there was one way for me to say why I was happy, why I took Bryce Young over Jameer Gibbs in the rookie draft, it's because guys like Deshaun and Dak are going at second in startup drafts because people are Mm -hmm. so desperate for quarterbacks um, that, you know, we saw Jordan Love go at the four six, which to me is also obvious, obvious, terrible pick. So you see that these quarterbacks after the top tier are just going to be bad values. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, Jordan Love was my pick um, for worst uh, selection. And I, I think what you're hitting on is the right 
uh, point to make that QB desperation, don't let that be you that it sets in on, right? So like we talked about the first 11 picks, nine of them were quarterbacks. There's a reason we got our, our stat, our stud. And now I can kind of, I have some, um, at least some flexibility in terms of how I want to construct my roster and in somebody like Gabe who goes, um, non quarterback, all of a sudden he's, I don't even know if he necessarily loves Jordan love, but it's, it's kind of, I have to take a quarterback or I might, or I might not have anybody. And he's, he's hitching his wagon to somebody that he's, he's not a champion of that's that that's the exact opposite thing you want to do as your QB one is hitching a wagon to somebody you don't believe in. Yeah. And, and why is Jordan love being drafted over Kirk cousins? Like, Cousins is giving you more points now. He's more likely to be a starter for the next four seasons than Love is. I I think especially at the quarterback position, but also at the running back position, there's this misconception that a younger age will lead to more value. But if you're not a good enough player, if you're not a top 15 running back or a top 15 quarterback where you're going to keep your job, being young doesn't matter unless it comes with some <laughs> type of upside that I don't think Jordan Love has. So for the same reason, like why why are why is Kenny Pickett uh, and you know Daniel Jones and Jordan Love and Sam Howell going at yeah. the same range or ahead of guys like Kirk Cousins, Matt Stafford, you know guys who are going to be playing yeah. for at least as long and producing. I, I think age is too commonly used as a skill set in Dynasty, yeah. and like if you're leading off with while well, he's 24, if that's your first defensive a player. That is that's a huge, huge failure in process, in my opinion. And and age matters a lot more when you're sure. looking at a top 50, 60 asset. When you're looking at a player like like I, I mean, obviously projection matters as well, but when you're looking at a player who isn't potentially good enough to start, then age doesn't really matter at all. Like a guy like Rashid <laughs> Shahid, I'm just gonna pick him out of the hat, right? Mm-hmm. Like He's a good wide receiver three in the NFL. He's a wide receiver five on your fantasy team. But the fact that he's 24 doesn't matter because his role isn't going to change. It's the same as Gabe Davis, right? Like they are who they are. I guess it's nice you get that, you know, flex option for an extra few seasons. But when you're talking about running back and quarterback, where unlike wide receiver, there's only one playing on a lot of these teams, then it doesn't matter if they're not going to keep their starting job. Like, why are you taking... Kenny Pickett when Kenny Pickett might not be a starter by the time this league actually starts. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to uh, what I was saying at the beginning of when you asked me what my strategy was. Uh, I, I think we were just beat over the head repeatedly this season of like, stop being so ageist in dynasty. These guys are fine. Like every guy who's 28 or 29 years old is not on his way out of the league, you know? Um, so I just tried to keep that in mind throughout the draft and like, Hey, let's just let the old guys fall to me and uh, we'll just take a terrible pick and Cole commit in between all of them, but we're happy with the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I ended up going way older than I typically would in a lot of startups because the old guys that I took Tyree kill Geno Smith, Evan Ingram, Nick Chubb, Darren Waller. Those are all guys who I think have their role locked in for next season. We know Evan Ingram and Waller are top 10 or 12 tight ends. We know Geno's a starting quarterback. We know Tyreek is the wide receiver one whenever he's playing. So um, I, I think I learned a lot, like you're saying about, especially right now, value young production, but don't just value youth for the sake of it. 
Yeah, value different value young difference making production, right? Yeah. Not just young like flex production, like you were saying. For sure, for sure. Um, so let's let's. I mean, I guess we're already kind of talking about what we learned from this draft. Um, anything else that stands out? Any other positional takeaways uh, for either of you? I know we've gone pretty in depth, and we're running up on an hour now. Go ahead, I, I think real quick. I real quick. I think it's easier. This is going to sound funny. I think it's easier drafting in the offseason because of what you guys are kind of talking about. There's guys that get pushed up uh, when they shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, where this is kind of like we know what we're looking at. And it also kind of speaks to just this vet draft, how impactful a strong rookie class can be. Um, we talked about, you know, the strength of 23. You know, we talked to like a two-round bump, um, you know, for some of these guys that it's like that. that is significant. And if you're just flushing down picks and not thinking about it because it's one eleven potentially, that is that's again it's it's a failure in process in my opinion. So that's just something to keep in mind. I think this is a good exercise. It certainly reminded me of that exact thought. Yeah, you got to value late first. I mean, we the in our rookie draft, the one ten and one eleven were Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison. Those guys would have gone in the like third or fourth round of this uh, veteran draft. So there's yeah. a lot to be said for valuing those late firsts. Um, by the way, I forgot to say my my favorite pick uh, was Alvin Kamara at the 907. Mm. I thought that was an incredible value. I'm not really sure why he goes four rounds after Austin Eckler, um, given that they're, you know, Kamara, I think is the fourth ranked uh, player in terms of just receiving this season and that's not even counting his rushing production and he's younger than Austin Eckler. So that that's one thing that popped out to me as well. Yeah. And that was, um, that was my overall takeaway from this draft was uh, there was a lot of running back value to be had after round seven. Uh, like uh, Mike, you got Nick Chubb at eight, seven. I mean, by the time these games start, he's going to be close to mm-hmm. back, if not back. Yep. Um, I mean, some of the guys I took after Kamara, Aaron Jones, Khalil Herbert, James Conner and nine, 10 and 11. I, I like all the, all those guys chances of having a role next year somewhere. You saw Mixon and Henry at the nine, 10 turn. Uh, Rashad White at, and Jalen Warren at the 8-9 turn. I just think there was a lot of running backs after round seven, and that was a position to kind of fade early and target later, I think, in this type of draft. There, there yeah, was I one, I, not, not to toot my own horn, but Zach Moss to me is somebody that if he's not with the yeah. Colts, he's shown that he's pretty capable. That's, that's another guy that just like kind of is getting flushed down the toilet for no real reason other than name and running back. Yeah, that was my thinking with the Cam Akers pick as well, who I took right yeah. around the same range as Zach Moss. Yeah. Um, the the White and Warren picks who went at the 8-12 and 9-1 turn, um, to me, like, yeah, those are fine value, but to me that's, and same with the Damian Pierce pick at the 8-10, to me that's valuing youth for no reason, right? Like, why are those guys going out over Alvin Kamara when they might not have starting jobs next season? Like, all of those guys, Um you can throw Najee Harris, Kyron Williams, and Jerome Ford in there as well. At least Kyron Williams has some potential, you know, to be a bell cow, but the other guys certainly don't, or Rashad White does and just scores eight points <laughs> while being a bell cow. So um, I, I would probably take guys like Kamara and Aaron Jones over those guys at this point. Um, it's yeah. really just sacrificing, you know, I'm, I'm going to let these guys die on my team. But Rashad White might not be worth a third round pick next year anyway. So right, it's, yeah. it's not it's not necessarily the the opportunity cost you might think it is. 
Um, right. All right. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, super valuable, honestly, for me going through this draft um, and kind of preparing for it as well in terms of it, it really did change my opinions on a bunch of guys um, like Evan Ingram, for instance, the guy I took in the seventh round to me, it was like, oh, wow. Okay. I actually think he's going to be a top 10 tight end for the next few seasons. Yeah. Like, let's, let's change my rankings because of it. And my rankings that are coming out today will, uh, will reflect that. Uh, before we sign off, can you guys, uh, I know we mentioned your podcast before. want to just give another plug for that. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, so every Wednesday we release an episode on Spotify and YouTube currently. Um, we, we basically are talking about game theory. We give a lot of trade ideas. So it's not necessarily like us listing trades that you should make as much as like kind of getting the wheels spinning. So that's kind of our goal. We want you to make more and better trades. Um, and then just our Twitter is Mark it underscore watch one. Um, so that that's just, you know, give us a follow and you'll know when the next episode's dropping. We love interacting with you. Any questions, start sits, all that stuff. We're here for you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just to repeat what Brian said, the uh, name of the pod is Dynasty Market Watch. The Twitter handle is at market underscore watch one, the number one. Uh, so, yeah, give us a follow. Give us a listen. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, and make sure to follow their personal Twitters as well at Dynasty Peasant for Matt and at Brian underscore O'Leary one uh, for Brian. Thank you guys so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you in the chat in about 30 seconds. Thanks, yes, sir. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Mike. Bye.